Hi, everyone. It's Ashley. Each week here on the deck, you hear raw interviews from family members and investigators who are looking for answers to cases that, for whatever reason, remain unsolved. But unsolved crimes are often unsolved for a reason. Time has cracked and curved around some of these cases for so long that getting answers has become complicated. Well, now, investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra is turning back the clock to look at an unsolved case from 1991. She's speaking to investigators, key witnesses, and loved ones who are still searching for answers on how exactly 27-year-old Douglas Wagg Jr. died. But here's the thing. While Delia's investigation for this season of Counterclock started as a look into one man's suspicious death, a string of crimes and other mysterious deaths point to so much more. Tune in each week for new episodes of Counterclock Season 6 wherever you listen to podcasts. Love is more than a day on the calendar or a sign-off on a letter. Love starts with you. Show off your personal style with new Pandora jewelry pieces that radiate with your love from every angle. With Pandora's vast selection of rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and charms, there's endless ways to show what's in your heart. Write a love note to yourself or your best friend with handwritten charms or a personal engraving. Shop now at Pandora.net. Pandora. Be love. State Farm helps you win by helping you create an affordable price just for you. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Our card this week is Viola Pendergrass, a wild card from North Carolina. I felt compelled to tell you Viola's story even though she's not featured on a cold case deck because she was the matriarch of not just her sprawling family, but also those at the apartment complex where she'd lived for two decades. Residents there even called her Ma. That is until one winter morning in 1992 when someone came into her home and viciously attacked her, shocking a community and dividing a close-knit family. I'm Ashley Flowers, and this is The Deck. On February 7, 1992, in Charlotte, North Carolina, Iris Howard called her grandmother, Viola, to make sure that she could still watch her four-year-old son that day while she went to work. Viola said yes, and Iris was like, great, I'll see you in an hour. Around 7.30, Iris loaded her toddler son into her car and headed towards Viola's apartment a few minutes away. But when Iris got there, the door to Viola's second-story apartment was locked. This didn't make a ton of sense to Iris because obviously Viola was expecting her and she typically just let herself in. I mean, this was part of their routine. She watched him all the time and the door would always be open for her to come in. So Iris knocked and called out for Viola. But as she listened for footsteps coming toward the door, there was just silence. Iris started to worry. Not only was she going to be late for work, but she was concerned about her grandmother. Iris tracked down a spare key from a neighbor that she knew and let herself in. 
Once inside the apartment, Iris immediately checked the bedroom. And there, slumped upright in a chair across from the bed and wearing a blood-soaked robe, was Viola. Iris raced out of the bedroom and ran back to the neighbor who'd given her the key. And that's where she called 911. Officers with the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department met Iris outside the complex within minutes, and she cried and screamed as she pleaded with them to save her grandmother. But when they went into the apartment and entered the bedroom, first responders knew there was nothing that could be done. Viola was already dead. With a bloody kitchen knife at the elderly woman's feet, it wasn't difficult for investigators to deduce how she was killed. They counted at least 16 stab wounds across her chest and stomach. Back then, Detective Ed Williams was relatively new to the force, but something that stuck out to him and the other officers was the way Viola's body was positioned and what it potentially told them about her killer. She was found in her bedroom in a chair right next to the bed, sitting in her chair. So it appears that she may have been even having a conversation with this person. My assumption, I don't know, but my assumption was that she was just sitting on a chair next to her bed Whoever did this was sitting on the bed having a conversation with her, and then it went south. Apparent defensive cuts and scratches on her arms that were noted in her autopsy told police that whatever happened, Viola didn't even have time to stand herself upright from where she was seated in the bedroom. Police combed through the rest of the apartment looking for more clues that could lead them to Viola's attacker. But aside from the bedroom where Viola was killed, there wasn't anything obviously out of place throughout the rest of the home. The apartment was undisturbed as far as investigators could tell, and nothing really gave them the impression that it had been rummaged through. But then they spotted one clue left behind in the bedroom. The bedside phone in Viola's room was off the hook and dangled to the floor, There was also blood smeared across the receiver and the phone itself. To police, that meant one of two things. Either whoever attacked Viola clearly went out of their way to make it as hard as possible for her to call for help, or Viola herself had reached for the phone trying to call for help after she was stabbed. As law enforcement and crime scene technicians continued their work in the apartment, framed photos of Viola and her larger-than-life family surrounded police as they worked to collect possible evidence. Iris was the first person to talk with Charlotte Mecklenburg police since she was the one who found Viola and she was the one who called 911. She was quickly cleared of any involvement in her grandmother's death. Not only had she been back at her own apartment getting ready for the day before driving over to drop off her kid, which phone records confirmed, but there was also the neighbor who said Iris did in fact borrow a key just to get into Viola's apartment and she quickly came running back to call for help. When the police got there, she was hysterical. You can, you can kind of tell when someone, I mean, we're all human beings. We all have been since our infancy. I think we can, you could say we're all students of human behavior. I think for the most part, people can kind of tell when someone is genuine and when they're not genuine. This was genuine. The neighbor who loaned Iris the spare key was a friend of Viola, someone she trusted. And that much was clear considering Iris went straight there for a key when she couldn't get inside the apartment. So investigators spoke with this neighbor too, and they were able to rule her out as a suspect pretty much right away as well. Unfortunately, those working the case today were not able to share the ins and outs of why with us, but they did give our reporter an answer to something that I was wondering about. 
They said that the knob on the inside of Viola's front door did not require a key to be able to lock it. Like, you could twist the lock and then shut the door. So it's not like whoever killed her would have had to be someone with a key. Even though this neighbor couldn't give them anything helpful other than confirming Iris's story, the detectives were eager to talk to other people who might have been around and may have seen someone coming or going from Viola's place that morning. Little Rock Apartments, which is still there today, is on the west side of Charlotte. And back in the early 90s, it was made up of working class families. And it was facing increased challenges with a rising crime rate. But Viola was a fixture there. Some neighbors told police that Viola had been through a lot of hardship in her life. As a young adult in South Carolina, she picked cotton on a farm along with her eventual husband, who died in a car crash in 1953. Now Viola was retired and loved to help take care of her grandkids, of which she had plenty because Viola herself had 11 children, five sons and six daughters. After her husband died, Viola raised her kids largely on her own. And now she was helping raise her grandchildren because to Viola, family meant everything. And her neighbors were treated like family too. Viola wasn't just the elderly woman who lived upstairs and kept to herself. She knew everyone, and everyone knew her. The headline to an article in the Charlotte Observer the day after her murder, February 8th, read, Neighborhood's Ambassador Fatally Stabbed. A man named William McRae, who was identified in the article as Viola's nephew by marriage, was quoted saying, She was the type of person, if you were hungry, she would feed you. She didn't even have to know your name. That's just the way she was. End quote. She was so loved that most people around her apartment complex called her Ma. Here's Detective Williams again. It seems like there's always one or two or three people that are the, the go-to people in the neighborhood where people hang out, people really enjoy seeing. It's, it's, you know, sometimes you'll have a lot of kids and a lot of adults. They just hang out at these different apartments or houses in neighborhoods. Well, her apartment was one of these apartments. She was, she was the grandmother of the apartment complex, per se. Despite her close ties and popularity in the community, canvassing the apartment complex turned up nothing. But police still had the daunting task before them of notifying and speaking with Viola's family. And those conversations led police to one crucial detail. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. Take it from someone who has made the mistake. And I should have freaking known better because in our very first house, we got a sectional from Ashley's store and it was amazing. So beautiful, withstood a lot. I mean, Chuck is absolutely invited on all the furniture, but you couldn't tell. And that couch, after years of service, then supported our lazy butts during COVID when we binge watch show after show after show. Not even so much as an indent in my favorite cushion. Long story short, when we moved houses, I was like, oh, I'll get a new couch. It costs more money. It must be better. No, I hate it. It looks like we've had it for a zillion years. Meanwhile, the Ashley couch is still thriving at my brother's place. And as if their stuff wasn't quality before, the new high-performance furniture from Ashley store is somehow even better. It's designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Listen, I have corrected all of my mistakes, and we now have their new high-performance, durable furniture. I got it in this beautiful shade of blue. I got some chairs. Love them, love them, love them. 
So whether you're hosting and toasting or just enjoying furry friends, you can relax knowing you have the durability and convenience of Ashley Store's newest assortment of high-performance furniture. Shop the life-resistant, high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. When it comes to travel, we all have that happy place that we're always dreaming about. Whether it's the snow-capped mountains, white sand beaches, a best friend's wedding, or even a hometown visit, we all have one. I mean, you're probably thinking of yours right now. Wherever your happy place is, Priceline wants to get you there for a happy price so you never have to miss a trip. And listen, as a mom, as a CEO, it's not easy for me to get away, or at least not far away. But ever since I was in college, I have been the queen of staycations. And hand to Bible, Priceline was my jam. I had it dialed in. I'd get four-star hotels for like 50 bucks a night and treat myself after a long work week and college classes. Every Vegas trip I ever took in my 20s was through Priceline. I couldn't even believe anyone ever booked anything another way. And Priceline is more than just hotels. Priceline lets you book your entire trip all in one place. So download the Priceline app today to save up to 60% off select hotels and go to your happy price with Priceline. When police spoke with Viola's extended family, one detail stood out as a common theme in interviews. Viola's social security checks. Viola, who was 79 years old at the time of her murder, depended on those checks to support herself. Each month, she'd receive $700, which is about $1,400 today when adjusted for inflation. Her family members told police that whenever Viola received her checks, she would cash them. But she usually kept the money out of a bank. For safekeeping, I mean, at least that was the intent behind it, she sometimes enlisted nearby relatives to hold on to the cash for her, and then whenever she needed it, they'd bring it over. This was in large part how Viola managed her savings, and apparently for good reason. When our team was in North Carolina reporting for this episode, a family member disclosed to us that lump sums of Viola's cashed Social Security checks had actually been taken from her apartment at least three times before. The most recent time someone allegedly stole from Viola was as little as four months before she was murdered. And for the very last check she received, Viola made the decision to hold on to the cash herself. Those closest to her would know that she kept the $700 in the same place she always did, on top of her bedroom dresser. So if no family members were holding on to that money for her after she cashed that last check, the money should have been in that same spot as it always was. Except when police processed the crime scene, no cash was found on the dresser, which was right next to Viola. And just so you guys can visualize it a little bit, based on where Viola's body was found, police thought that it was likely that her killer attacked as she was seated in that same chair. And if that were the case, with Viola immobilized, there was nothing standing between the assailant and the money. In fact, it would have been pretty easy for whomever murdered Viola to swipe the cash from the top of the dresser and then just bail. And... That seems likely because police did not find that cash anywhere in the apartment. It appears that that is probably the motive because there is no indication that Miss Pendergrass ever did anything to anyone that would cause them to kill her. The, the only motive we see, and when I say we, we from the police department, the investigative standpoint, is that $700 is missing. So it appears that this was a robbery. As police continued interviewing her relatives, it was clear that faith and family were two central pillars in Viola's life. 
and she held especially close to both after her husband died in a car crash 40 years earlier. Her loved ones told officers that Viola never remarried and spent her working years as a cook in restaurants to support her kids, who, at the time of her death, were mostly located in her native South Carolina, but were also spread out across New Jersey and North Carolina. As of February 1992, she also had 27 grandchildren and 46 great-grandchildren. With Viola's sprawling family, it took several days for the news of their matriarch's shocking death to trickle down. So it wasn't until three days after her death, on February 10th, when one of Viola's grandsons, then 19-year-old Christopher Pendergrass, got word that he needed to call his mother immediately. Christopher was in the U.S. Navy at the time and was stationed off the coast of San Diego. When he got a hold of his mom, she told him that his grandmother was killed. He was spared the details over the phone, but the following day, Christopher was on the next flight back to North Carolina. He hadn't even made it out of the Charlotte airport when he insisted on knowing exactly how his grandmother was taken from them. And he cried into his mother's arms when she finally told him. I mean, the news was almost too unbearable for him to process. Even 2,000-some miles apart with him being stationed in California, he and Viola made time for one another whenever possible. And the two would talk on the phone every other day before he shipped out. I mean, this was someone who helped raise him, someone who was a vivid part of his earliest memories. Brought on some sadness and depression. You know, up until I was in kindergarten, I spent almost every day of my life with my grandmother. I was with her almost every, every day. So I was the baby grandson for a long time. I guess the term they say, well, he was spoiled. And with me, I was just that close and had that much love for her and respect. Christopher said that the last time he talked to Viola was on February 5th, just two days before she was killed. She was in, in good spirits and seemed to be strong and healthy, you know, just judging her being able to hold a conversation and have good memory to recollect anything that she was discussing. She talked about the crime that had gone up around in Charlotte and even around in her immediate area. On top of that, Viola witnessed an altercation between two men at the apartment complex, and things escalated to the point where one of the men pulled a gun on the other. Viola intervened, placed a hand on the shoulder of the man with the gun, and said something to the effect of, Mr., please don't shoot that man. After diffusing what sounded like an incredibly dangerous situation, she walked away unharmed. But before her death, Viola assured Christopher and other nervous family members that she had no reason to be afraid in her own community, despite the area becoming increasingly crime-challenged. Christopher said there's no way his grandma would have ever welcomed a complete stranger into her home because she'd made those recent comments about the crime rate in the neighborhood. That meant, whoever this person was, she trusted them enough to apparently have a sit-down conversation in the comfort of her bedroom, dressed in her nightgown. Well, with that, the way her, her apartment was set up, she had to have let them in. Because if it was somebody that would have attacked her from the front door and gotten her all the way back into her bedroom where she was found, it would have put up a bigger fight. You know, it would have been more things like turned over or what have you as far as the crime scene goes. So whoever it was, she trusted them enough to get that far back into her home, into her bedroom, because she was, you know, sitting in a chair. 
So for them to get that far in her house, she definitely trusted them. As weeks turned into months without any answers, some of Viola's family members started to suspect each other. And that suspicion bred resentment in the family after her murder. And it made people like Christopher wonder who in his family he could even trust. Police never did a press conference or anything announcing a theory about who killed Viola. But they were having conversations with some of Viola's relatives about who had a habit of stealing or borrowing Viola's cash and who in the family knew about her social security checks. When months went by with no new tips or leads, police started to lean further into the theory that one of Viola's own family members killed her. Because again, few, if any people outside of the Pendergrass family knew when she would deposit her social security check and where she would keep the cash. But to prove it, police needed more. They couldn't build a case on suspicion alone. They needed evidence, which to put it mildly, was sorely lacking. Aside from their shoe-leather police work in the field, police tried in more ways than one to engage with the community to solve Viola's murder. In 2003, the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department impaneled a civilian review board meant to add fresh eyes and perspective to some of the agency's coldest cases, including Viola's. According to a news story published in the Charlotte Observer in July 2006, the team, which to this day is made up of volunteers who have law enforcement backgrounds, would reevaluate evidence, reevaluate interviews, reports, and prepare summaries of their findings for sworn law enforcement. And honestly, they had a pretty solid track record. According to that same article, the work of the Civilian Review Board as of July 2006 led to at least 15 arrests, leading to the closure of 17 cases. But Viola's wasn't one of them. Then in 2006, this is 14 years after Viola's murder, the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department created a special webpage that featured information about seven unsolved homicides. Now, I know a simple website may sound like a no-brainer for most of us today, but this was 2006 and kind of on the heels of the internet boom. But as far as we know, that website didn't actually result in any definitive leads. Short of someone coming forward with information, the best bet at solving Viola's murder, police said, rests with figuring out whose DNA was on the physical evidence collected from the scene. Again, the most promising pieces of evidence was that blood that was found on the phone in the bedroom and the bloodied knife found near Viola's body. But the test results from the blood smear found on Viola's phone were very interesting. According to the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department, those results showed a mixture of Viola's blood and a second unknown person. At least five DNA samples were collected from relatives to compare against the blood smear, but Detective Williams told us none of them were a positive match. And you might be scratching your head over this because I was. If they were able to extract a foreign profile from the phone, why couldn't they immediately tell whether or not that second person was a relative of Viola's? I mean, that would at least confirm or debunk the family member theory. But after calling up a couple of DNA experts, we found that it's not so simple. Things get very complicated beyond just trying to prove a genetic match to someone's parent, child, or full siblings. Like pretty much like you have to be that close in order for it to be a hit right away. So CPD had to outsource the non-Viola profile for forensic genetic genealogy testing. And as of this recording, they're still waiting to find out if that person is, in fact, related to her. In 2018, detectives decided to try something that they'd never thought to try before, thanks to advances in forensic DNA testing. They sent the knife back to the lab and had analysts take the knife apart and test it again. 
This was done in the event that blood or any other physical kind of DNA managed to seep into the inside crevices of the knife, like between the handle and the metal. Analysts use what's called MVAC testing, which I've talked about in some other episodes, but it's basically when DNA lab techs use this vacuum-like device to suck out hard-to-access trace evidence that they can then test. But just quick sidebar, because I know that you're all DNA nerds like me, the MVAC apparatus is usually used on fabric or cloth evidence, but in this case, they used it on the handle of the knife after splitting it open to make a flat surface. And using that method, they were able to retrieve some blood and they compared it against the blood that was found on Viola's phone, but there wasn't enough to get a match. Now, around that same time, police also sent Viola's blood-stained robe to be analyzed in order to determine whether there was DNA profiles present on that that weren't Viola's. But that testing was also inconclusive. After all of these years, Detective Williams can't help but feel frustrated over Viola's case. She was a caring person, and it makes me sad that this happened, but it makes me sad that I never had the opportunity to meet her because it sounds like somebody I would have liked very, very much. I don't want to get all emotional, but that just tears my heart. It's disgusting that this happened. And I don't get like that with many cases, but this one, I don't know, something about this case has just touched me. I've been doing this for 36 years now, and I've only had a few cases like this where I've gone home and thought about it. I've woken up in the middle of the night thinking about it. I wake up in the morning thinking about it, thinking, what did I miss? The family was and remains basically divided into two camps. One side insists that the killer was among them and that nobody outside of the family knew when Viola cashed her checks and, more crucially, where she kept the actual money. And then you have the other side, which grew defensive and resented Christopher and investigators for even suggesting the possibility. Everybody's a suspect to me until we get to the bottom of it. It could have possibly been anyone in the immediate vicinity between the neighbors and family because somebody knows exactly what happened. So, like I said, I'm hoping that uh, the police department can make the arrest they need to in this uh, investigation. Busy parents have enough on their plates without adding your children's homework to the list as well. IXL is an excellent resource for homework help, which is especially nice for parents who are rusty on school info themselves. And methods have changed over the years, too. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. It's designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. And you get one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. There's a reason why IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. From studies done in almost every state in the country, the kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. If your child is struggling, this is the smartest investment you can make. A month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring, so now you could get your child the help they need at an affordable price. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And the deck listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash deck. Visit IXL.com slash deck to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Why not grocery shop from the comfort of your couch? With Thrive Market, the no junk food healthy grocery store, you can 
I've been gearing up for summer trying to get myself in shape, and I actually have been getting all of my whey protein and collagen powders from Thrive Market. Not just from Thrive Market, but I get the Thrive Market brand, which is delicious, priced super well. And I feel like it's a brand that I can trust because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. And they restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. Save time and money as a Thrive Market member on every single grocery order. On average, customers save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash deck for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash deck. Thrivemarket.com slash deck. As they've continued to investigate, Charlotte Mecklenburg police have had their eyes on a relative of Viola's who's battled substance use disorder and had a history of allegedly stealing from family to support his addiction. Police have remained interested in him, and he has agreed to talk to police as recently as 2021. But detectives believe that he knows more than he's letting on. He is still alive today and lives in the Charlotte area. Now, that man, who police declined to identify, was considered a strong person of interest, then and still today. But police do have his DNA on file, and it did not match the unknown evidence from Viola's phone. So suspicion, coupled with circumstantial evidence, however credible, just isn't enough, at least in most investigations, to charge someone with murder. Now, let's assume for a minute that this man's prints or DNA did turn up in the apartment when police were working the scene. People were always coming and going from Viola's apartment. It was a hub of social activity, and this guy was family. He had spent many years around that apartment. So honestly, uncovering his prints in the apartment would prove very little, if anything. I mean, as Viola's grandson, he had a perfectly legitimate reason for being in the apartment. In March of 2020, when the COVID-19 pandemic shut down day-to-day life and forced most work to go remote, Detective Williams, like the rest of us, had no idea what was ahead or how long he was going to have to keep out of the field. So when he started working from home, he took Viola's case file with him. And all I did in my basement every day was read the case thinking, there's something I'm missing, there's something I'm missing. As he poured over the materials in his basement, Detective Williams felt compelled to do something. And while in quarantine, there was only so much he could do. But because Detective Williams moonlights as a radio DJ for WSGE in Charlotte, he decided to use his unique platform and hit the airwaves to make a call out for Viola in November of 2020. There's no reason anybody should be murdered, but there was no reason this lady should have been murdered. She was just minding her own business. She was a happy lady, a happy grandmother, a happy mom. And somebody took her life for $700. And I want to bring closure to this family because, again, nobody, and I mean nobody, deserves to die like this woman died. So if you have any information at all, please contact me. Even though that broadcast was almost two years ago, Detective Williams' message these days, both on and off the airwaves, remains the same. Is this case solvable? Yes, if this case was unsolvable, you and I wouldn't be sitting here because I would have thought this is a waste of time. But yes, I think it's solvable. I think we just need one person to tell us something 
because we have some other evidence, but we don't have enough evidence. I'm not going to put somebody in jail because I think they did it. I don't, I don't work like that. And I don't know anybody in my unit that works like that. We put people in jail because we know they did it. And I want to know without a doubt that if I'm putting handcuffs on somebody that they committed this crime. And all I need is for one person to come out and tell me, tell me something, tell me the information I need and I can wrap everything up. I feel like we're that close, but we just need someone to talk to us. Christopher said there have been times over the last 30 years that he's wanted to give up because he felt like he would never know what happened to his grandma. I've lost a lot of family members since that time. They went on and died in, without knowing the truth, at least here on Earth. While he has gone back to being hopeful for an arrest in Viola's case, Christopher knows that there's a chance that he too will pass on someday not knowing what happened that morning inside his grandma's apartment. You know, I tell my children that if you have to, I tell my older children, if I'm not here, you keep calling the police to see if there are any new leads or anything that we can get this solved. If you have any information about the February 7th, 1992 stabbing death of Viola Pendergrass in her Charlotte, North Carolina apartment, please contact Detective Ed Williams at the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department. You can contact him via email at James. Dot Williams at cmpd.org, or you can call 704-336-8626. You can even submit a tip or relevant information anonymously through the local Crime Stoppers. That's 704-334-1600. There is a $5,000 reward if you provide information resulting in an arrest and prosecution. And remember, if you call Crime Stoppers, you can remain completely anonymous. The deck will be off next week, but we will return the following week with a brand new episode. The Deck is an audio Chuck production with theme music by Ryan Lewis. To learn more about The Deck and our advocacy work, visit thedeckpodcast.com. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Reynolds wrap. Reynolds wrap. Potato wedges. Wedges. Olive oil. Salt. Mwah. Well done, hon. Well done, chef. Right. With Reynolds wrap, cooking becomes so easy, you can feel like the chef of your kitchen. Easy prep, easy cook, easy clean. Reynolds wrap.